you guys know we've been spending the last few months, that was about three months now, in the Sermon on the Mount, and we've been talking about this sermon that Jesus gave as a kind of summary of the Christian life. Here's the essentials of what it looks like to follow Jesus, and, and as we're coming now to the close, we're, we're in chapter 7, we're getting toward the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is showing us, here's what it looks like to have a healthy, flourishing relationship with people and with God. How do we relate to one another? So last week we talked about um, how do we look at people with a merciful gaze, right? Not to judge them uh, at, at a higher standard than that we would hold ourselves to. And we had a great conversation together uh, with our gospel community. Uh, and so as we begin today, before I'm going to switch up the order a little bit of how we start out, just for fun, you know, you got to do it every once in a while. So um, I'm going to pray, then I'm going to read the text. So would you join me in as we pray together for God's help? Uh, Almighty, gracious Heavenly Father, since our whole salvation depends upon our true understanding of your holy word, would you grant that our hearts, freed from worldly affairs, may hear and understand your holy word with all diligence and all faith, so that we may rightly understand your gracious will, cherish it, and live by it with all earnestness, to your praise and honor through our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. And now let's hear God's word as we've asked him to illuminate and, and give us understanding. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 7, page 812. Matthew 7, beginning in verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This is God's word. Okay, so as I just mentioned a minute ago, our family has taken a sabbatical this summer, and, and the church is going to continue to pay me uh, the, the part-time salary that I get here at the church. So generous. We are so grateful for that. It is, it is awesome uh, to continue to have that coming in. However, for some reason, my other job is not going to pay me for being gone for 10, 10 weeks. I don't know what their deal is. Uh, they're just not going to pay me to be gone for two months. So, so I have been working on letters uh, to send out to churches and to different people who have supported uh, our family financially, especially like in the early days of our church getting started. And, you know, when you plant a church, you have to do this a lot. Uh, and it's, you know, it's, it's hard to do. It is not fun. Nobody likes to ask other people for money. Uh, but, but when you're planting a church and you're like, we're going all in, it's a little bit easier to do that. Uh, but to ask money so that I cannot work, 
pretty tough. <laughs> you know, and, and I'm writing these letters, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it, and, and I've, been, I've been wondering, why is it so hard to ask? Like, I think these people would probably want to help out. There's a reason that they helped us in the first place. They probably would love to help out. So why is it so hard to ask? You know, and, and it's not because I don't want what I'm asking for. I do. I really do. This time that we have set aside, we've been planning for about a year uh, together with the church, and it's, you guys have been involved in those conversations, and we feel your desire for us to go on this sabbatical as well. So I do want this. It's something I desire. So what is the issue? If it's something I want... And I think it's actually something that I need in the sense of this is to the benefit of long-term health in ministry and in family and all these things. What's the issue? And I think the issue is that I do not want to come across as someone who is needy. Anybody resonate with that? <laughs> if I could have everything that I want, everything that I need, without having to ask or depend on anyone else, that would just be great, right? Wouldn't we love that? Now, Jesus knows this about us. He knows that desire that we have to be self-sufficient, right? That we, would, we could live in some way apart from and independent from anyone else, including, and maybe most of all, God. Jesus knows our longing for sufficiency within ourselves. But Jesus also knows that this is not good for us. This is not good for us. We were not made to live independent from God, and we were not made to live independent from others. What does God say in creation? It is not good for man to be alone. We all have longings and we all have needs. We all have desires that cannot be met within ourselves. We need others. So even though Jesus has already spent a big part of the sermon in chapter 6 talking about prayer, Jesus comes back again to this really important aspect of, of life within the kingdom of God, Jesus talks to us about this thing that we don't love. He talks to us about asking, asking. And we're going to look in this passage today at four different aspects of asking. There's a call to asking. There's a basis for asking. There's a picture of asking. And lastly, we'll see a life of asking. So let's start with the call, a call to asking. Now, as I just mentioned, this passage is primarily about relating to God in prayer, speaking to God. Uh, you guys ever heard of a catechism? Catechisms are these beautiful historic documents when you're like, what is, how does the Holy Spirit transform me? And there's like a council of theologians and pastors who spent hundreds of hours talking, looking at the scriptures, answering 
basic questions about Christianity. And in one of those catechisms that we call it, uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the question comes up, what is prayer? And the catechism responds, prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Beautiful summary of what prayer is. Now, Jesus has already given us the pattern for how to pray in in chapter 6, but he comes back to invite and call us into a specific kind of prayer that is that we could call asking prayer, making requests. He's calling us to come to God with our empty hands, with our needs. He's inviting us to ask God to fulfill these needs that we have, to fulfill these desires. And he says in verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. And I love, you just feel like the cadence of that, uh, of what Jesus is, is saying here. There's this like rhythmic pattern in the language. Ask, seek, knock. And if you just remember those three words for today, you'll be fine. Ask, seek, knock. Pray like that. Uh, and you, you could do that the rest of your life, and you will be good. But within the Greek language that these commands were written in, there's also this deeper pattern or a deeper understanding uh, of what Jesus intends here with these three words. They're given as what is called present tense imperatives. And I'm not, uh, I don't know how to read Greek. I just know how to use things that tell me what the Greek says. Uh, And... So what does a present tense imperative mean? It means that the command, the imperative that's being given, is is to, to not just do it once, but is to keep on doing it. Keep on doing what is being commanded. So we could read these three commands, these three words as, keep on asking, continue seeking, persist and persevere in knocking. Not for five minutes, not for 10 minutes, not for 30 minutes, always. There's no end point in which we should stop doing what Jesus is calling us to in this pattern of asking. And we can also think about these three words as kind of like a ladder or like a stairway that we go up. Each word kind of grows in intensity. You guys have an alarm that starts out quiet and then it gets louder and you wake up like, I don't know. what We all have our spot that we finally wake up. Dallas's is earlier than mine. Uh, and she's like, your alarm is going off. Good morning. Uh, she's, she's so nice to me. Uh, <laughs> right, so, so think of that ascending intensity. Ask, seek, knock, okay? I don't want to yell too loud. I don't want to scare you guys because when I bellow, it can get pretty loud. So, uh, Some writers, when they talk about this growing intensity, they, they talk about the picture of a child that's looking for their mother. So those of you who have or have had 
young children, think about how your child is looking for you. First, there's a calling mama, okay? And then there's a seeking, right? Walking around the house, where's mama? Keep asking while you're seeking. And you are trying to take a shower, trying to go to the bathroom, trying to have 12 seconds of peace with no one bothering you and pulling on you. Knock. Mama, are you in there? Yes, and I would like to stay in here. Please leave me alone. <laughs> right? That is life as a parent, especially as a mother. So this pattern of persistent asking, seeking, knocking, that's what our life of prayer should look like. Prayer is needing God and expressing that need over and over and over again. Now, we saw this earlier. We, we, we admitted it. None of us wants to be seen as needy. To be needy is to be weak. And we think to be weak is to be an inconvenience. It's to be a problem. We would prefer not to bother anyone, especially God. He's got a lot going on, right? And we're often tempted to think that way. There's so many people whose needs are so much more significant than mine. It's not a big deal. I can live with this. I can figure it out myself. I'll ask for some help on Google. Right? My need is not that big of a deal. It's, it's insignificant. And besides, he already knows what I need. So why would I need to like reiterate that? Why would I need to go to him with something he already knows? And it is true. God's word says that he knows what we need before we ask, probably before we ourselves know. Now, I hear what you're saying. I hear your objection. I've said it myself. I've thought it myself. And I have... I have dismissed the opportunity to ask. Now, th now think about this. We tend to prioritize and we tend to assess needs based on how important they are or intensity. If you're a first responder, they call this triage, right? You come upon a situation or a situation is in front of you where you have to say, who needs my help right now? And who needs my help? Who can wait for a little bit? Who's going to die if I don't get involved right now? And who's, you know, gonna, they're, they have a broken leg, but they're going to be okay, right? That's triage. Uh, you think about this um, at school. What classes do I need to give more attention to so I don't fail them? We assess, we prioritize based on that intensity. At work, which project or what does my boss want me to do the most? What is the most important thing to work on? In parenting, what kid is screaming the loudest right now? Right? What needs my immediate attention? That's what we do. But don't miss what Jesus is showing to us here. He is calling us to ask about everything. He's calling us to regularly and consistently come to God with our needs, with our desires, no matter how significant or insignificant we think them to be. 
I love what Paul Miller says. He has a wonderful book on prayer called A Praying Life. I encourage you to read it. He says, don't be embarrassed by how needy your heart is and how much it needs to cry out for grace. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed of your need. So here we've seen Jesus' call to ask, a call to a life of asking. But Jesus gives us more than commands. He gives us a reason. He gives us a basis for asking. He doesn't just tell us what to do. He tells us why we should do it. He, uh, he shows us this basis for asking in verse 8. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. There's that rhythm. There's that pattern. There's that cadence again. But it's not a command. It's a promise. These are promises from Jesus. He says, your asking, your seeking, your knocking is not dismissed, not ignored, not rejected. And we need, to, we need to realize what a gift it is that as we persist in prayer, we can actually do that in confidence. It's not blind, just pie in the sky hope. It's hope that has a basis in what Jesus is telling us. We ha can have assurance that our Requests are being listened to, being heard by the God who created and sustains all things. That is an incredible promise for us. N.T. Wright, who's a theologian, he says, these verses give us one of the most sparkling and generous sets of promises anywhere in the Bible. I think he's right. Now, do you think that that basis could change the way that you pray? Do you think that if you really believe that everything you bring before God, he hears and responds to everything, and that his invitation is to keep on doing it, that he won't get annoyed, that he won't just be like, fine, I'll just do it, just leave me alone. The promise, the assurance, the confidence is based not in how often we do it, how many times a day. It's the basis is in God's word. He promises, I will respond. I love what John Calvin says about this. Nothing is better adapted to excite us to prayer than a full conviction that we shall be heard. Doesn't that stir you, right? Doesn't it stir us to know that we are being heard? Jesus is listening. And so the, the call here is to immerse ourselves more and more on this basis, on this promise, on this word, Jesus gives us a promise here. There's promises all throughout Scripture that the God that we worship is a God who listens. He's a God who hears. He's a God who responds. And he says, come to me. Bring it to me. Tell me what you need. 
God is listening, and he responds to the prayers of his people. But we might think, what if I ask for the wrong thing? And we do. What if I pray selfishly? You will. What if I don't really know what I need? I'm just like kind of confused. I don't really know what it is that I need. What if I have mixed motives? I don't know. I have a sinful heart. You do. All those things are true. All those questions are legitimate questions to ask. And here is where the basis for our asking is actually even better, even more meaningful for us. When Jesus says in verse 7, ask and it will be given to you, knock and it will be opened to you, he doesn't mean that God is a genie who is just enslaved to our requests, like, okay, they asked for it in the magic way and now I have to do it. The word it in verse 7 and the promise, it doesn't mean that any particular thing that we say, and, and practically you know this, right? Any particular thing that we ask for, it means ask and God will give you what he deems best. That's the promise. And I, <laughs> you know, I, I love... Uh, we, were, we were praying about this earlier this week, uh, about a pastor and author named Tim Keller. He's been suffering from cancer. He went into hospice, and he, uh, he died on Friday morning. Uh, and he wrote a book on prayer that, that talks, uh, and he talks for a moment about this feeling that we have of, I don't know how to pray. What if I pray the wrong way? What if, you know, I'm being selfish? You know, I do really want a Lamborghini. Like, is it okay to pray for that? Keller says, Jesus gives us an enormous incentive to pray. Ask with confidence and hope. Don't be afraid that you will ask for the wrong thing. Of course you will. Don't be afraid. God tempers the outcome with his incomprehensible wisdom. Cry, ask, and appeal, you will get many answers. And finally, where you do not get an answer, where the answer is not what you want, use prayer to enable you to rest in his will. Now, as a follower of Jesus, I find this incredibly freeing. This means that you and I don't have to pray perfectly. Anyone here an overthinker? What Jesus is telling us here is that we don't have to wring our hands and edit what we're going to pray. God wants your rough draft prayers. Don't overthink your prayer. And of course, yes, we want to grow in our maturity. We do not want to relate to God as Santa, okay? It's true. And God is faithful. The basis for our hope there is not on us getting better. It's on him transforming us. But there is a reason why Jesus invites us to come to God as little children. Right? That's his 
exhortation in multiple places in the Gospels. Kids do not overthink what they are asking for. They don't moderate their requests. Like, you've ever seen a kid go up to Santa and they're like, well, I don't know, like, it's maybe too big of a, you know, thing. I don't want to bug you. And you're like, that poor kid, like, just let it fly, man. He's not going to do it anyway. Like, <laughs> sorry, uh, if you guys are a Santa family, just wrecked your uh, family traditions. But like kids, as a general rule, they just tell you what they want. They just tell you what they want. And they have... They believe that you have the ability to come through, right? Your kids ever ask you for something that you just could not do, and they're looking at you with full conviction. Oh, my dad, my mom has got this. They can totally do that. The basis of our asking is not us. It's not on us. The basis of our asking, the freedom that we have, is based on God. His promise, his invitation, come to me. I want you to come to me with your requests, with the things that you need, with the things that you want. So we've seen Jesus call to asking his invitation, and we've seen the basis for why we should do that, his promise, who he is. And next we're given a picture of asking. Here's what it looks like to do this. And Jesus, he uses this imagery of a child making their request known to their parents. Here's the illustration in verses 9 and 10. Which one of you, if your son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? I think it's such a great way for Jesus to understand what he is getting at here. Those of us who are... Uh, who have children, we are parents, and even those of us who, who don't have children, you can observe the truth of what Jesus is talking about here. When a child is hungry and they let you know they're hungry, as an infant, as a toddler, you know, on into adolescent, even your adult children at home, they have signals and ways to let you know that they are hungry. Even a moderately decent parent is not going to be like, here's a plate of gravel, right? Here's a snake. A parent answers the request, a parent meets the need. And it can be done, that can be done as a parent out of a selfish motive, too. We're not like full of love and, and hugs all the time uh, as much as we should, right? Sometimes it's just like, I just want them to stop bugging me. Here are some gummy snacks. Go, depart from me. Uh, but the need is met, right? But in our best moments, right, we kneel down, we look our children in the eye, we sit there. If your kid's in the high chair and you're trying to feed them and you make the little airplane sounds, right? This is not wonderful, right? Or think of a mom who just feels the tug on her blouse brings her child in close to nurse. We nourish our children because we love them. And then Jesus drops the hammer here in verse 11. If you then, who are evil, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more 
Will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So even in the love that we have for our children, we recognize, if we're honest, that our love is flawed. Sin has corrupted our love, even for the most dear people in our lives. And that corruption just goes all the way into different aspects of our relationships. Even the best among us do not love our children as well as we ought. There are no perfect parents. That should probably get the biggest amen in the history of our church. (laughs) But those who have placed their faith in Jesus have a perfect father in heaven. Where we fail, he does not. Where we are distracted, he is listening and paying attention. When we just want to be left alone, he is always available. Where we respond in anger, he responds in patient mercy. Where we do not know what to do and we just default to what our parents did, he leads and he loves in perfect wisdom. Where we cannot control outcomes or protect our children from harm, he is sovereign. And he works all things according to his glorious purposes. And this is why Jesus says, how much more? How much more? We had a wonderful example of this in our own lives this week. Uh, Many of you guys know our oldest daughter, Adelaide. She was in a car accident a few weeks ago. She is fine. The car is not. It's done. Uh, And so being the teenager that Adelaide is, she has been, we could say, eager to get another car. (laughs) She has been helpfully sending us links to new vehicles that are maybe even better than what she had before. Maybe the silver lining here. And the truth is, we would love to get her another car. It would be more convenient for us in many ways. But it turns out we can't just make money or vehicles appear when the need is there. Uh, I'm not sure what's going on there. Now, we have been trying to figure out what to do as a family. We've had conversations, a lot of conversations about it. And Dallas and I have prayed uh, for her, for a vehicle. We've asked for help from other people to look for a car that would be a good fit. Some of you have made suggestions or there's potentials here that could work. We have made our need known. Okay, We haven't been shy about it. Um, and, and I think that's all, all fine. So this week I asked Adelaide, I said, have you prayed and asked God to provide a car for you? Just You know, I wasn't, like, in pastor mode. I was just honestly curious. Like, have you just done that? I just would love to know. Wasn't chastising her. Wasn't trying to do, like, the slip a lesson in, moral lesson as a parent. I can do that a lot. I am not above it. I was just honestly curious. I wanted to know, you know, how are you thinking about this situation? How is it impacting you? Are you talking to God about your need that you have? (laughs) 
And she said, yes, I have been praying. I've been asking God. And there's a sincerity in her answer. I thought, oh, that's, that's great. It's great, but I was also tempted to teach her how she should pray about it. I was concerned that she might be doing it too much like a teenager. So I, I wanted to say, like, you know, don't ask for too much. Don't get too pushy with God, you know? You know, don't expect something right away. This might be like a gradual process, uh, but keep on praying. And I was fully intending to do that, but, you know, I got distracted. I do not remember what happened after that, uh, and we just never got to the, that super important lesson that she needed to learn from me about prayer. <laughs> and Friday night, she was uh, babysitting for uh, James and Allison Sanborn. They were part of our church for a number of years. They moved to Ferndale, and they're attending Ferndale community church there. It's a little bit of a drive, so we miss them, but we're still connected. James and Allison uh, have had Adelaide come watch their kids a number of times. Now, she had to use one of our cars, which is really annoying. I was already a little grouchy about that. Uh, she's, she was talking with James and Allison. She was saying, you know, I don't have a car. That's why I had to use my parents' car. And they said, oh, we, we have a car you can have. We bought a new car, the old, the old uh, Nissan Xterra's out there, it needs new tires, it needs a battery, but you can have it, we'll, you can, and it was like no big deal. Just like a conversation that I was not even present for. It's a car, it's an answer to her prayer. It's an answer to her need, the need that she brought before God. And it happened. Now we could say, you know, they're just nice people. Some people are like that. And they are. And we could say it's because of connections and relationships that we have in the community. We could try to pick apart the whole situation and figure out why there's some other reason why prayer had nothing to do with it. Or we could believe that we have a Father in heaven who loves to give good gifts to his children. Archbishop William Temple, he said, when I pray, coincidences happen. And when I stop praying, the coincidences, coincidences stop happening. Jesus has called us to asking. And he's given us a basis for asking. And he showed us a picture of asking. And all this leads to what we could call a life of asking. Everything about this passage, if you get past the familiarity and you get past the patterns and the things that you want to pull out of it, everything about it is just this stunning invitation into a new way of living. The life that Jesus welcomes us into is not about 
hiding or suppressing our needs, our desires, and our wants. Life in Jesus is about how much more, not how much less. We do not need to be ashamed of our needs, of our wants, and our desires. God knows everything about us. He knows the worst things about us. And he sent his son to die in our place. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And so, a life of prayer, a life of asking, is not really about knowing how to pray. It's about knowing who you're talking to. I love what Edmund Clowney says about this. The Bible does not present an art of prayer. It presents the God of prayer. And when he was reflecting on this, Tim Keller said, we should not decide how to pray based on the experiences and feelings we want. Instead, we should do everything possible to behold our God as he is. And prayer will follow. The more clearly we grasp who God is, the more our prayer is shaped and determined accordingly. How much time is it? All right, I got time to do this. This is, my, this is one of my favorite things. It's like I've never done a high wire because I'm way too scared and I would definitely fall. But I've been, I've, <laughs> I've told some of you guys this before. Uh, there's a church building on Henderson and K Street that's empty and has been for many years. And I don't know how many years ago, five, six, seven years ago, whenever I would drive by or run by or walk by or whatever, I would pray, Lord, would you just give us that church building? You gave us this one, and we love it. It's great. But that one's a little bigger. It has grass. <laughs> has some classrooms. It's just a little bit more suited, I think, for us. And so I just pray. It does not have parking. No. Don't be greedy. Jeez, Peter. <laughs> it has lots of street parking. Uh, so, you know, you could drive by and you could join me in this, right? And some of you actually have done this. Hey, I started doing that too. And I just pray. I don't know if I'm being selfish. I don't know if I'm doing, you know, have mixed motives about where and how, you know, all of that. But I just pray, and I've taught my kids to do it when we go by. It's kind of weird, honestly. But I just love doing it. I'll go out of my way, you know, sometimes coming back from Safeway, got some Ben and Jerry's, just shoot over there. It's not the, it's not the direct route, but hey, Lord, you know what we need? I think you'd like us to have this building. 
If so, for your glory, for the good of your people and the good of this city, give us that building. You know how to do it. I have no idea how to do that. No idea. But he does, so if he wants that to happen, he will. And the point of telling you this story is not so that we will get that building. That would be great. I don't know what Jesus wants us to do with this building or that building or any of that, but I know that he loves us, and I know that he's invited us to ask him for things that we want and we think will be good. So hear that as a story, as an invitation to keep asking for things, for people in your lives that you love, to see them come to faith in Jesus for a job situation that has just been wrecking you for years, for whatever it is, just keep asking. He's not ashamed to hear it. He's not like, oh, here he goes again. He's asking about that building. I think God enjoys every time I pray that prayer because that's what this tells me. So hear that as an invitation for you into the life of prayer where that just becomes normal to do that kind of stuff. It just becomes normal. You teach your children. You, you do it with your spouse. You do it with your gospel community. Hey, let's like stop talking about this and just pray for a minute. God wants us to. What's the thing that you need to persist in praying for? Maybe that you gave up praying for because you did it for a while, maybe a long time, and it's just like got old, got tired. It doesn't feel like it's ever going to happen. What's that thing? Who's that person? Hear Jesus' invitation and look to him. Look to him, not to your willpower, not to your strategy. Just keep looking to him and keep praying. All right, let's finish by praying together. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? May we approach and continue to approach you with the humility that is due to your greatness and a hope that rests in your goodness. For though you are high, yet you have respect for the lowly. And though you are continually adored by thrones and dominions, principalities and power, you do not despise the prayer of the destitute, but you will hear our prayers. Our fathers cried unto you, and they were delivered, and they trusted in you, and they were not confounded. And you never said to the children of Israel, seek me in vain. Because these things are true, we ask that you seal and bind to our hearts what we have heard today. Let us learn to draw near to you. Let us enjoy being with you. Let us believe your promises, and because you are our good Father. Let us delight to ask, to seek, and to knock. And we ask these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.